0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
1: If you like this show, then take a gamble on R.J. Bell's Dream Preview each week on Podcast One Sportsnet. Get everything you need on the biggest games each week from Pregame.com's Guy Roundtable with hosts R.J. Bell and some of the biggest names from the world of sports betting. Check out R.J. Bell's Dream Preview at Podcast One Sportsnet and Apple Podcasts. Also remember to rate and review. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode it has been a very eventful last few days in the nba game one of the nba finals was on thursday completely insane covered it in person warriors winning in overtime after the insanity that was also plenty of drama with free agency around the corner the draft around the corner the sixers drama with brian colangelo in full force and the perfect person to talk to about all of that is tim pontemps of the washington post he keeps an eye on all of this because that is of course his job with the washington post and we go through all of it we go through game one the conference finals i had a lot of thoughts to get out there on kind of what to take away from the rockets and their season didn't talk as much about the east finals but we did a little bit and go through all of it podcast runs a little bit over an hour lots of good stuff in there and it's brought to you by bear mattress b-e-a-r mattress.com you can get up to 100 you get 100 off your mattress any size with the pod 100 promo code Bet DSI. You can use the Real GM promo code to get $2,500 on your first deposit, which is awesome. And our friends at Truecar, great place to buy a new and used car. As I said, lots of different areas in this. I think you'll really enjoy it. His perspective on a lot of the stuff that's going on is very worthwhile. So check it out. Thanks so much for coming on. Anytime, Danny. We are recording this in the afterglow of a completely insane game, one of the NBA finals. And I I talked about this a little bit on Dunked On, but what my big kind of overarching takeaway, and there are a million other things to talk about, but for me, I thought that the Warriors were really fortunate to come out with the win, not just because of the Jr. screwing up the score and George Hill missing that free throw, but Klay Thompson being able to play and... The Cavs' support players missing a ton of open threes.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, I think you can. I think you can go even farther than that, right? I mean, I think Cleveland outplayed Golden State for a lot of the game, and unlike the conference finals where Houston played very well and Golden State, you know, did not play well and kind of screwed around at times, I thought Golden State played hard and, frankly, pretty well in that game last night. I didn't really think they were not engaged, or that if they did some of the stuff they did against the the, the Rockets. I just thought they got outplayed by Cleveland. I thought that was, you know, I think LeBron said that was the best game they played in the postseason. I would actually say that was the best game they played in the entire season. When you look at the way they were locked in from start to finish, playing hard both ends, uh, LeBron was obviously sensational, but, you know, they they played really good defense. You know, some of their, some of their individual guys didn't play well overall, but I mean, I, I just was really, really impressed with Cleveland. And, and yeah, I think on a lot of levels, you know, the Warriors won the game because they have, you know, a, a you know, just a, a preponderance of talent compared to Cleveland. But, but yeah, between the clay thing, between the missed threes, between the end of the game sequence, between frankly, uh, Cleveland not getting the benefit of the doubt on a few calls that could have gone their way. Uh, I think there's little doubt that, you know, the the Warriors really didn't deserve to win that game last night, but that's not how the, the scoreboard reads, you know, like the scoreboard reads whoever has the most points wins. And because of that, the Warriors have a one nothing lead in the series. And, you know, I think part of the reason, you know, I know you were at the game last night and so was I. I don't know how long you stayed after for interviews, but just seeing everybody's reaction after that game. I think both teams knew how big that game was in the sense that if Cleveland wins that game, This series has a really good chance to go at least six games because Cleveland probably will win one in Cleveland. You know, that, and I think the Cavs knew, you know, you could see the Warriors were like, man, we got lucky. The Cavs, you could really tell were devastated because that was a game that if they win, they're really in this thing. And now going up against a team like Golden State as a big underdog, you can't give away a game. And, you know, for like I said, for reasons in and out of their control, the Cavs gave that game away. And I I think you could see on the face of LeBron, on the face of Tyler, Lou, you you could see that they knew that and and that was just another layer to you know a game that you could probably write a hundred stories about uh but at the end of the day golden State managed to come out on top it
1: this is a very basic point but it puts, I, I think it p- kind of puts a different context on what you just said, which I agree with fully, which is now Cleveland has to beat the Warriors four times out of six, and those games are split evenly between Cleveland and Oakland. That is a lot to ask of any team. And think about the Rockets-Warriors series. Houston won all of the 50-50 games in that series and made one of the games that wasn't a 50-50 game a 50-50 game when they, when they came back from 10 down in the fourth quarter at Oracle. Yeah, if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt, they have a very good chance, probably even win that series. I would expect that they would have. But that is what the margin is. You know, the margin against the Warriors is there. And the Rockets, generally speaking, are a better team than the Cavs. Though if LeBron James is is this good in every game the the Cavs can win every single night?
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, you know, the the margin for error is small, right? I mean, Golden State has had a bad break with Iguodala getting hurt. And like I wrote about during the conference finals, they, I think they made a lot of mistakes this year with their roster. I think they made a lot of mistakes this year with their approach. And I, I think that they, because of that, have left themselves a little more vulnerable than they should be. And then they were last year. But that being said, they still have a massive gap between them and everybody else in the talent from a talent standpoint. And that's what makes this task really tough for Cleveland. And that's why you can't give away a game. And, you know, I think even partisans on the Warriors side, I think, would say that they were fortunate last. I mean, look, there's not a coincidence Steve Kerr walked into his press conference and said the phrase, we got lucky three times in the first three sentences that he uttered. Right. Like they knew that they shouldn't have won that game and they got away with it. And they won. And now for Cleveland to turn this around and win four out of six, like you said, I just think it's going to be really, really difficult for them to pull that off.
1: One positive out of not only this game, but the last series, is that I hope people understand, because we have a good example of it now, that this whole angle of the Warriors being inevitable is silly. Because, well... At full strength, the Warriors are the favorites against everybody because they are the best team in the NBA. That line is not incontrovertible. Like, you know, a team can play really well. I thought the Rockets' plan for the Warriors defensively was magnificent, and they executed it really well. And I thought Maury had great personnel for it as well. And, you know, if Luke Richard and Bob Mute had been healthy and not ganking layups that whole series, that would have helped as well. And the Cavs, you know, they have LeBron, he's unbelievable. They have other players who, if they can get hot, can certainly do it. And so, yes, it is weird to have, you know, to have a team that is this good where it it, it can feel that way at times, but it is an appreciation for how good the NBA is and how important star level talent is that it isn't inevitable. That's not what this is at all.
0: Yes. No, I agree. I think that, um, you know, I think that, some the only part of that I would quibble with is that I think part of the reason Golden State isn't as inevitable as they were last year is their own doing from some of like their approach I think has kind of been off from the beginning. I think Steve Kerr has been too too lax in right from the beginning and kind of saying this is going to be really hard guys. And I know why he did it, but I think it kind of gave everybody a built-in excuse. The roster, I think, has been weird from the beginning. There's obviously some of it's out of the control, like injuries. Basically all their top five guys have all spent significant chunks of the season injured. But that being said, you know, you're right. I, I think people, people are always ready to say that something is inevitable until it's not. And they go, Oh, well, of course it was never inevitable the whole time, right? Like that. It's like when the the Lakers played the Pistons back in two thousand four. Oh, the Lakers are going to kill the Pistons. That when they did. Oh, everybody knew the Pistons were going to win that series. Well, no, nobody knew the Pistons were going to win that series. So they're huge underdogs in the series. So yeah, I think I think that's human nature. Um, and it, it, you know, and it's why you play the games, right? Like it's it's what you know. I was talking to Mike Wilbon after the game last night, and we were talking about the Jr. play, and he's like, he's turned and being, oh, like, this is why you play the games. Because crazy stuff happens. It's why sports are the best. There, there's no doubt that that, I mean, for me, like I tell people all the time, the reason I love my job and I am fired up about it all the time uh, is that every time you go to the arena, you never know what you're going to see. And, you know, last night's game was the absolute apex of that. You know, when you consider everything that happened on the stage that it happened on, it, it was truly the embodiment of, you know, never knowing what you're going to expect when you when you walk into a game.
1: Yeah, mine is similar, which is why I love sports. is be- Is that there is the uncertainty of it, but that knowledge and taking the time can make you better at predicting it. So it strikes that right balance. It's not like predicting the lottery, where doesn't matter how much you know. You know, oh, well, they've you know, it's been it's been eighteen on five of the last ten drawings, like something like that. No, like you can with the the level that that we put in and so many others put into this game, whether you get paid for it or not, you can learn a lot more about it. You could say, hey, well, this is an opportunity. Sometimes it's even, hey, this team should be doing this differently. But at the same point, whether we're talking about free agency, whether we're talking about team chemistry, or even a guy losing track of the score with 4.7 seconds left in the game, there is a human element from all parties involved. And that is what makes it so much fun. Absolutely.
0: I mean it's 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 what it's what makes sports great. You know, it's like I said, it's what I don't do well with movies and TV shows. I've never really been into watching them and I've never been good at watching anything more than once. Because I know what's coming and I, my mind kind of checks out and even a movie that I like, it's not one that I, I'm not good at like watching the same movie 12 times over like a lot of people are. That's like I said, that's what I love about sports is. Like the, the fact that no two games are ever the same. And even though for a lot of us who are around Golden State this year, it did feel like it was 82 games of the same or maybe even more in the playoffs. You know, it, it's just, there's just always the potential for, you know, Clay Thompson to score 60 points in a game or 37 points in a quarter or Steph Curry to hit 13 threes in a game or Jarrett Smith to not know the score or LeBron to score 51 points, uh, with eight rebounds and eight assists. There's just, it's, or, or Clay Thompson to look like his leg was going to snap and him to somehow stay in the game, uh, and frankly play, then play 39 and a half of the final 41 minutes somehow, which is insane. There's, it's just, it's, it's the best. And even with the, the stuff with Brian Colangelo this week, even though it wasn't in a game, like there's just, it sports is just, uh, as, as one former league executive likes to tell me all the time, the NBA in particular, it's just soap opera for men. And it's, it's just a nonstop, story, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, three inches to five days a year, and it's what makes our jobs so entertaining, and it's what makes nights last like last night, you know, games that like 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, we're going to remember and say, wow, you know, like I can't believe we're at this game when all this crazy stuff happened.
1: And I think what makes the NBA a little bit different from some of the other leagues, and I grew up not watching much basketball, watching other sports instead, is that In basketball, there are these kind of two ideas that are connected but are are both important. I think both were reflected in Game 1, which is the idea that styles makes fights and the intense individualism that there is in the NBA because the basketball gives the format, it gives you the opportunity for a single player or a group of players to put an outsized imprint on the game itself. You know, LeBron is the ultimate example of this. I said after Game 7 of the Celtics series that everything good Cleveland did offensively in that game came from LeBron, and it wasn't to that extreme in in Game 1 of the NBA Finals, but it was pretty dang close, and... Basketball allows for that, you know. in Baseball, the best pitcher can, you know, when when they're on the hill, they can they affect it a lot. But then they're only on the mound for like let's say half of, definitely no more than half of the pitches in that game, and definite or half the hitters or whatever, and and then they don't play in other games. In basketball, you can do that. I mean, LeBron played forty eight minutes, Curry played forty six. You know, those guys, it it affects it more. And similar thing with football and everything else. So with basketball. You have all that, and then you have it where certain players create mismatch problems for certain teams, and I, I think that was a story of the Rockets-Warriors series.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, that was a that was a strange series. You know, it was it was a it was a fascinating series to be around from the standpoint that it, you look at. Um, you know, you you look at going into it, you thought Houston had a chance, right? Like, I think everybody thought this year, like you said earlier, uh, I think, Houston was pretty clearly the best team in the league from a record standpoint. And I think everybody generally thought that at – peak value, they were the second best team in the league, right? That Golden State had the highest ceiling and the most talent and probably was going to win. But if anybody could beat them, it was going to be Houston. And how are they going to do it? they were going to have to make a lot of threes. They're going to need James Harden and Chris Paul to play great. And, you know, they were going to need their role players to step up. And the weird thing about that series was it kind of turned into this ugly rock fight, right? Like, you know, you guys have you guys have you and Nate have talked about this on Dogtown a lot. I mean, and I know other people have too. The kind of the weird part about this evolution of the league to these kind of you know, five man units of like size players and all the switching, um, is that it's kind of just become a series of like, let's go back to the late nineties, let's find the weakest defender on the court. And let's pound the hell out of them with our best offensive player, right? And it's made for an interesting dynamic in that you, you kind of have these games like, you know, these Houston Golden State games, like, Houston really succeeded in getting getting the Warriors out of what they like to do, which is, you know, Steve's Kers, you know, pass and move and share the ball and have 35 assists and 300 passes and all that stuff. And they turned it into, all right, Kevin, we signed you to go be able to score in games like this. So we're going to give you the ball with you with Chris Paul on you and you're going to shoot 30 times. Right. And that's what Houston wants. Houston wants game started Chris Paul doing that against the other team's player and they think they're going to win the math on that and for a lot of the series they did um before Chris Paul broke down which some would say is luck some would say is Chris Paul always gets hurt and as our friend Ethan Strauss posited that maybe Golden State not thinking he would get hurt but thinking he would wear down as the series went on paid off and, and they couldn't hit enough threes but it, it was a strange series in that you know it, it just people kind of thought it was going to be these high scoring I think I think the the vision for that series was that it would be these really fun, high-scoring games, a lot of threes made, up-and-down action, right, with two of the best offenses of all time playing. And instead it was, I don't want to say it was quite back to, like, Pistons-Spurs-level basketball in the mid-2000s, but I, I don't think anybody, including you, would walk away from that series thinking that it was, like, empirically pleasing basketball to watch. It was fascinating from a strategic standpoint and it was very high level but it wasn't like Spurs heat in 2013 or even like some of these Cavs Warriors games where it was like just wild back and forth stuff happening and you could kind of get lost in the excitement of the moment it was more kind of like all right like we're gonna go sit through this isolation possession and then this isolation possession and this isolation possession which made for a much different viewing experience than I think a lot of people really anticipated it was going to be
1: plenty more to talk about with Tim but first the message from Bear Mattress Bear Mattress is designed especially for your active lifestyle. Whether you are a professional athlete, weekend warrior, just on your feet all day, you'll sleep better and perform at your best because Bear was built for optimal cooling, comfort, and muscle recovery. Bear Mattress, are made in the USA. They use eco-friendly materials and were developed with insights from sleep experts who Professional athletes and engineers to create a super comfortable and supportive sleep that is up to seven times cooler than traditional foam mattresses. They use a scientifically proven technology called Salient to help relieve tired muscles, improve sleep quality, and boost athletic performance. What's really cool about it, you can go to BEARMattress.com and you can try it out for a 100 nights risk free, 100% money back, free shipping right to your door. And if you use the code POD100, P-O-D-100, the reason it's that instead of the normal one for us is because that 100 means $100 off your mattress purchase, whatever size you want to go for. So you can check it out. Go to Bearmattress.com, B-E-A-R-Mattress.com. Use that P-O-D-100 promo code that lets them know you came from us. And of course, you get $100 off your first mattress. And they start at just $540. So it can be an amazing value as well because buying a mattress is can cost thousands. So again, baremattress.com pod 100 is the promo code. I also want to tell you about our friends from BetDSI. We are transitioning from May into June, but they're still so much great sporting going on as we really enter the summer NBA finals, as you all know, going on NHL finals, Stanley cup, also going on as well and baseball full swing and numerous other special events that come on. And BetDSI has hundreds of wagering options on all of these and many more UFC golf As football comes in, which is still a little while away, they'll be there too. And BetDSI also has live in-game wagering on all NBA playoff games and other major sporting events. So if you get a read on a game early, you can say, hey, I can put my money where my mouth is and maybe make some good money. They've been in business for over 20 years, top rated and they're safe, and they are built their reputation on fast and easy payment of winnings, which is such an important part in this business. So what you do, go to BetDSI.com and you use the promo code Real GM, realgm, r e a l g m just like the show and you can get up to $2,500 free on your first deposit. It's pretty amazing. And can see what you're interested in, lots of great options there. So again, betdsi.com realgm promo code gives you up to $2,500 free on your first deposit. Go there now, start winning today. For me, the biggest takeaway from that Western Conference Finals was that I think damn near all of us, and I include myself in this, have understated the ability of a defense and defensive personnel to affect what an offense wants to do. Because really, like I think a lot of us thought, oh, the offense is going to dictate this. Well, no. I mean, that the whole point, and we've seen this with the Warriors over the last few years, the whole point of the Warriors' defense is to turn another team into an isolation basketball team. And the idea being that they have enough help they have enough quality defenders, that they will make that inefficient. And then they can run off those mistakes, they can, you know, and, and that other teams generally aren't as good at doing that to them. And even if they do, the Warriors have Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. That's really how they brought it home in Game 7. So what Houston was able to do was that exact same approach. They just had they had great personnel. They were willing to, to go to those, you know, P.J. Tucker or guarding Kevin Durant or even Harden on Steph. I mean, there were times when Harden was abysmal, I think game 1. You know, that an underrated part of why the Rockets lost the series was Harden being so bad defensively in game 1. And the challenge there and why I think like I think you're right that you know we didn't expect that and 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 what it turned into, but the the larger point there, at least in the interim and, and maybe once the league starts selecting even more for these physical traits, it will change, is that Twenty-eight teams in the NBA do not have the people to make a system that uh, to make a, a series that ugly. They just don't have it. They'll have somebody out there who can execute, who you can attack, and create looks off of that. But neither team was getting as many seams as they're used to because that's the whole point of how those teams were constructed.
0: Yeah. There's no question about it. And, and and, and like, I want to ask you just about Harden because this is, what, the fourth or fifth year in a row now it feels like where we've had this discussion after a playoff series about could James Harden have been better than he was. And I, I do think Harden played well in this series, and he certainly didn't have the disappearing act that he did in Game 6 and at the end of Game 5 in the conference semis against the Spurs last year, which, I mean, I've been a few games stranger than Game 6 of the conference semis in Houston last year. But that being said – Do we at some point wonder if there's, uh, is there something about, uh, James Harden that is he not, like, I don't want to get into necessarily too much, like, amorphous stuff about, like, clutchness, but, does he get caught up in the moment in some of these games? Is there a reason why from a stylistic standpoint, do you think that he wears down as every series goes on? You know, cause like my buddy Tom Havishar laid out the data at the start of that series. He looked at it and James Harden was great in game one and statistically is great in game one of every series. And then he falls off a cliff after that. And that was the same thing that happened in each of the series in these playoffs. I'm gonna, okay. In game one against Minnesota, he had 44 points on 50 for 26 suit and 20, 7 for 12 and 3. In the conference semis, he had 41 points on t- 12 for 26, seven for 12 from three. And game one against the Warriors, he had 41 points on 14 for 24 shooting, five for nine from three. The rest of those series, he never shot above 50%. He never shot better in the, the, either the conference semifinals or the final, or the conference finals. He never shot better than 33% from three. Never scored more than 36 points in a game. After the first round, never scored more than 32 in a game. What do we make of that? And what do we make of James Harden in the playoffs at this point? I, I just, I don't, because I don't really know the answer. It's, it's kind of confounding to me. I, I think um, I do. Okay. What do you got?
1: There are numerous players in NBA history and in the league right now. I've used the parallel of DeMar DeRozan.
0: Uh, You know what? I'm not going to cut you off. I I remember you talking about this on dunked on. So I'm glad glad I asked you because it was an interesting point you made.
1: So there is also an analog from a team perspective of the San Antonio Spurs. This is one that gets people where they are particularly adept at dominating inferior competition. And... That makes sense. James Harden's game, he's unbelievably skilled. He is so aware of what he does well, what an opponent does poorly. So if you put a bad defender on him, he's going to annihilate them. This is just like the Spurs just never losing or very rarely losing to like the Orlandos or the Phoenixes of the world. They handle all of that, and then they have the capability because they are wonderful players and numerous other things that they can they can do well against better opponents it just happens less frequently just like it does for any player you know very very few guys have as many good games against good teams and great teams as they do against bad teams so you have that as as a part of it then the second part of it is this kind of fatigue slash like mental will part of it with Harden which I think is is important and I think of this going back to I watched him in high school like I've seen Harden his physical talent is there but fatigue is a big issue with him I've seen you've seen it forever like he just loses steam over the course of it he is shouldering a big burden and in the Western Conference Finals particularly he had to do a lot defensively because they were just putting him in spots and you know we talked about we've talked about it over the years with what Cleveland has done to Steph Curry well the Warriors did pretty similar to Harden they didn't go after it zealously enough for my taste because they had more opportunities than they used, but you have that, and then you have Harden with the thing that the Warriors didn't do, but the Spurs did in 2017, is that this is the will part of it, is that you can ball deny him, that you can body him up off ball, and he just doesn't fight through it as well as he should. Incidentally, another player who's like that is Kevin Durant, his former teammate. Westbrook's not great, actually, at getting ball denied either, it's just that he never has the ball out of his hands, so we don't think about it too much. So. You have all of those things running together. Okay, better against inferior competition, as almost everybody else is, and then sometimes can get tired and all that. So it all runs together. you playing against, you know, there are fewer weak links to attack, and you generally have less airspace. Referees are calling less fouls, and a lot of Harden's game is based on getting to the foul line. That's just the way the playoffs are. So that's why it's kind of a parallel to Rosen. Harden is way, way, way better than DeMar DeRozan. But the entire model of his success is going to be more difficult to replicate and is going to degrade because of the way that the playoffs are different than the regular season.
0: Yeah. I mean that's it's 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 very interesting. And, you know, like that that to me is what makes the whole situation in Houston fascinating. Like I, I think you guys talked about it the other day and I've talked about it with some people in the league. I kinda feel like that Houston team has hit its peak and it puts Darren Morey, I think, in a really difficult spot because, you know, Luke and is 32, Trevor Reese is 33, Chris Paul's 33, PJ Tucker's 33, you know, reason and Paul, all three agents. Uh, they're going to be a very expensive team. They have to, they, like, they probably, they have to bring everybody back, I think. I don't really think they have a choice because when you're this close and, you know, there's no, I mean, Golden State could take another step back next year. I think they probably take a step forward. Um, because I think they're going to fix their roster, and I think for a variety of reasons they're going to be in a better place next year. That being said, you know I think they got to bring that team back, but it could be a bit of fool's gold where I think you could see that team never get this far again and kind of just be stuck in a situation where they're going downhill at the wrong time. So, and and with James Harden now approaching thirty, this is probably the best year he's ever going to have, and. It will be, it'll be hard for last, him to have a better year. Right. But, I, I mean, for as good as he's been the last few years, right? Like, if he starts going the other way and he already can't really hold up like this in the playoffs, it I don't know, it's just fascinating. Because, like, the thing about James and, like, it, the, the DeRozan thing, I remember hearing it when you said it, and I thought it was interesting you bring him up. It's like the difference is, like, the thing that's weird to me about James is that, like, the shots he's hitting in the regular season, it's not like they're different shots in the playoffs. Right? I know it's a little different because it's a seven game series, but like, it's, it's a lot of the same looks he gets during the regular year. And maybe, maybe if I go back and look at his regular season stats, they would fluctuate the same way during the regular season. Um, or maybe it's something about getting clued in on the playoffs, but it, it is just an interesting thing that his specific style of play I mean leads to him looking like this it, it's it, their whole situation is very fascinating to me and I, I I'm very curious to see how they approach this summer because my guess is they're going to swing for the fences and bring everybody back and try to get Mbamute back cheap and try to add another piece and really go toe-to-toe Golden State and they it might just end up being a really expensive mess
1: on the the shot point I think there is something to that but also the those shots are incredibly hard he had the best isolation season ever for a reason because that's really hard to replicate you know he was at the you know it's the the regression of the mean idea, but here's an, another part of the scoring element. His free throw attempt rate was fifty percent, meaning basically you know that, that it's free throws per shot attempt from the field in the regular season it was about fifty percent. It was thirty five percent in the playoffs, and you're always going to see a drop off. It wasn't actually as big a drop off last year. Some of that is because they didn't make it far enough in the playoffs to have it to have the overall number wear down. And their first round series, from what I recall last year, was just was really weird, but. The point you make about their aging is something that's really concerning to me because the Rockets are older than the Warriors, and I think their games, as an overall collection of talent, will age more poorly than the Warriors because shooting generally ages better than anything else. So, after next season... If they kept everything together, and it would be hard for them to really retool in this fashion, there are other things they could do. Every single rocket starter other than Klickapel will be over the age of 30. Generally speaking, the history of players after the age of 30 is, is not great. That doesn't mean they'll fall off a cliff. I mean, who knows with Chris Paul. And one of the other ways that an old team can be problematic is not necessarily that they get worse on a per-minute basis. It's that they play fewer minutes, either per game because they just don't want to wear down, or because they get hurt. I mean, like Chris Paul this year, I had him as a second-team All-NBA player because I thought Chris Paul was the third-best guard in the NBA this year when he was healthy, but the when he was healthy was not enough for some people to put him on the ballot at all and, you know, if you're talking about it in terms of value, rather, if it's, if, if it's quantity plus quality rather than just quality, like it is for me, then, you know, that, Chris Paul, they survived it for sure, but that is a consideration, and that is part and parcel as much as, and I, I've said Chris Paul is one of the 10 best players in the league for a long time now, that is a part of him that is there, and I expect that to get even worse with age because that's the way it works for everybody.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're right. And, and listen, I mean, you're talking about Chris Paul, a guy who's been hurt a ton of times. That's 33. That's a small guard. You know, look at the history of small guards in the NBA. Right. It ain't great. I, I want to say that t- Tony Parker was 32, 33 when the, the Spurs were in the, the NBA finals. uh, And within two years, he was bar- barely a starting level player. Right. When you look at that history, do I want to pay Chris Paul four years and 200 million million summer? Hell no. <laughs> right. Like that. I, I don't want to do that. Uh, I, I think that's a disaster. And, and that's not a knock on Chris Ball, who is a phenomenal player. And, uh, and I, listen, I want this Rockets team to stay good because they got fun personalities like TJ, TJ Tucker is a, a really fun, Personality in the league, you look around at, you know, some of the other guys that they have. Trevor Ariza has been around a long time. You know, Paul being at this level was fun seeing him finally get through to the conference finals. You know, Pardon, obviously he's been a great player. Capella is a fun personality. Uh, I love Mike D'Antoni as a coach. Uh, a guy who isn't, you know, so wound up in himself that he's afraid to reveal lineups like other certain coaches who might be in the NBA finals now. You know, like I, they're a fun team and they're a fun team to be around. So I want them to be good. I just think that their their future is is perilous when you look at the scenarios laid out in front of them and the potential pitfalls that, that could await this summer and beyond.
1: I was thinking about Dan Feldman's piece, which I really enjoyed. Uh, it was about a week ago now, where he taught, he he praised the Rockets for not being afraid of going after the Warriors. because And, and the example he brought up, which I'm not saying it was a bad trade because I thought it was a good trade when it happened, but the, the idea of what Cleveland did. Cleveland traded away Kyrie Irving not to get better, but to get it to get it. What I thought was a strong turn ended up working out more poorly for them than I ever would have expected. But you know, that's what they did. A lot of other teams that were kind of on the precipice decided to wait and those teams I'm not saying they made a bad decision I mean we've we've seen how how close the margin can be Mark Cuban has brought up you know how many injuries away are you he said that in the open court for owners which I think is a great way of thinking about where teams are but the Rockets they went after it and what I'm so interested in in this case and there have been stories like this in the past is what they understood about where this was going when it happened. And so the best example of this is with Chris Paul, like when they traded for Chris Paul, and he took a gargantuan risk in terms of the pure financials by opting into the final year of his contract and not signing a big deal last year. I mean, could have gotten seriously hurt, you know, any number of things could happen. Now, it is entirely possible that we have overstated that risk because of in understanding that was, that was made that would not violate the collective bargaining agreement. I don't know that it's entirely possible, but (laughs) I want to see how that works. I'm just
0: going to, I'm just going to say now as somebody who works in and around the league, the collective bargaining agreement is violated all the time and there's just no way of proving it. And frankly, the way the league is set up, it's just the way it is, you know? So people don't like that. People get wound up about that, but it is the way it is. There's a reason the moratorium exists And so teams can line up their transactions and be able to do crazy stuff in the summer because you know what? It's great for the league that crazy stuff gets done in the summer and that you can have seven transactions line up in a row to build a super team. You know, like that's, that's, that helps the league continue on its merry way. So, you know, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I just thought I would throw that in there that, you know, they for the people that, uh, go, oh, well, you know, how can they do that? It's not the way the CBA works. Well, you know, that's, that's the way the, it's the way the real world
1: works. Well, I mean, one of the best examples of this were the extensions that were agreed to, but not agreed to with Kawhi and Andre Drummond and all those guys that led to them having to change the rule and it was it was a loophole that you know when you have the incentives that the NBA has and in the in that circumstance it wasn't really the only thing that got hurt was like theoretically i guess you could say every other team because of the ability that the Spurs had to use that money though you could make a very good argument that in the long run it was a very good thing for the for the competitiveness of the other 29 NBA teams that the Spurs had that money because they used it poorly, in my opinion. You know, like Lamarcus well, has worked out well, but yes. they they you know they built kind of an older, stagnant team around him, which you know might end up leading to him being gone. Who knows? But I agree with you. Like there there are these structures that are that are in place that can be exploited and understood, and and then there are times where it seems like there's something and then there isn't. I mean, like Durant taking the pay cut last year, that was something. I I never saw coming. It was, I, I, got, I, was, I, saw, I saw something like kind of a precursor to it. I was like, what the hell? Like, what's going on here? And those sorts of things can. But yeah, with Chris Paul, that is my expectation. And but what makes this so interesting, more so than, than almost any of the parallel situations, is that after Chris Paul was acquired, but before the season started, the Rockets changed owners. The team was sold. And so I don't think that changed anything. I would be shocked if it did. And it sounds like... If any,
0: if anything, if anything, I would say that Tillman Fertitta buying the Rockets increased the chances they would spend more money, and that doesn't mean Leslie Alexander doesn't mean Leslie Alexander was unwilling to spend money. He was not. He was one of the model owners in the league from a stewardship standpoint. Uh, He's he's always had a well-run organization. You know, people have great respect for him throughout the league. But you look at a guy who is clearly enthusiastic about the team is from Houston, very fired up to own a team. Getting to the conference finals in the first year of being an owner, But there's ever a guy that's going to go, yeah, let's spend money, it's, it's that guy to keep this team together, I think it's safe to say.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And you could also go on the kind of like the assumption of the risk grounds where he came into this with clear eyes, and you don't get into the situation he did without the understanding of we need to keep this team together, especially considering how well they played. And the Rockets had an absolutely incredible regular season, and, you know, the playoffs they were... Either you could say a a strained hamstring or a couple of bad bounces, 27 consecutive missed threes, away from making an NBA Finals. And, I mean, I don't know what Chris Paul's status would have been in the Finals, but they would have had a decent shot at bare minimum. And so,
0: I think Cleveland would have won the series, frankly, because I I don't think Chris was going to play for at least the first two games. And I think LeBron against the Rockets, uh, I would have taken LeBron, because uh, I, I just think I, I just think he would have found a way Yeah, if, that if
1: we set the over-under on Chris Paul missed games at, like, two and a half, I would have probably taken Cleveland as well, just because yeah, I... He, he,
0: yeah, he was going to miss at least a week. I mean, the, the thing, I don't know if it really got, like, fully reported out there, he had a great two hamstring strain. Like, the only reason that they didn't immediately rule him out the rest of the series is that Chris Paul was desperately trying to play, and they basically just kept saying, all right, Chris, we'll wait and see if you can play, Right. And but nobody within the team really thought he was ever going to play. Everyone I talked to from top down was kind of like, yeah, like he's trying everything he can. But like it's a hamstring strain. It's not an ankle sprain where you could shoot it up in theory and play or you can tape it up and play like it's a hamstring. And if you if you play on a hamstring like that and you do something to it again, you could be in a situation where you could be out for months. Right. Like six, seven months. It could be a Chris Middleton situation. Yeah. Or Um, or Solomon Hill. I mean, or Solomon Hill, right? Another one, right? Like, and and again, we're talking about a 33 year old guy who's going to be a free agent. And listen, I am not saying that Chris Paul was sitting out because he was, say, like prepping himself for free agency. I don't mean that. I just mean, if you're Houston, it it would be irresponsible for the Rockets to let him play in that condition. And so they, I think, to be fair to Chris, I think they did their best to try to let him make it happen and be able to play, but nobody there was really thinking it was ever going to be happening.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like when a parent gives a kid an impossible task and says, if you get this to happen, this thing, you know, then we can do this thing you want. But so it's kind of like it's kind of like a riskless, a riskless olive branch. I think that's kind of what what that was and out of respect and just because it's the right thing to do. And also, you could say for gamesmanship, I mean, there's. No, there's no downside of having the Warriors think there's an no. outside outside chance that Chris Paul might play.
0: No, and, and they, there was like people were talking about, well, maybe is he going to play? Is he going to get out there? You know, and like, I, I mean, I, I don't think that was a, I think that was part of it probably, but I, but the, the Rockets, I think mostly it was just the Rockets. It was the Rockets just really knowing that look, he isn't gonna play, but rather than like tell Chris that three days ahead of time, it's like all right, we'll let him do what he can do and if he could somehow play great and if not, we'll just you know, give him every chance to exhaust his possibilities. I mean, I thought Mike D'Antoni made it pretty clear he wasn't gonna play when Sunday night before the the night before the game he said It's going to be up to the doctors, the front office, and Chris. And if everybody's on the same page, he's going to play, and they'll tell me he can play. And if they're not, he's not going to play, right? Which made it seem like, all right, if Chris is going to say, I can play, and everyone else is going to say, sorry, Chris, you can't play, and he's not going to play. So... Uh, but it, but it sucked. And listen, I knew the series was over, even though it was closer than it should have been. I knew the series was over the second he got hurt. It happened right in front of me. And you just knew they weren't going to win in Cleveland. They weren't going to win in Oakland in game six without him. And you just figured, even if Chris Paul was healthy, I still think Golden State would have found a way to win that game. But without, without Chris Paul, you just didn't, I just didn't think that the Rockets are going to be able to get over the finish line. And, and it stunk because I don't think Golden State really deserved to win that series. And Houston played their tails off and they did everything they could. And I, I wanted them, I wanted them to win that series and for no other reason than I really respect the fact that they weren't scared. Like remember this time a year ago, how many people were saying, wow, you know, like should teams just trade away their star players now? Should they be trying to build for 2020, 2021? Like should the next couple of years just be given to Golden State? Right. And Houston said, screw that. We're going to try to catch them now. And they, they damn near did. And so I had a lot of respect for that. And I, I it would have been nice to see that rewarded. And I still think the fact that they came that close is a pretty good reward for, for Houston. That's why I wrote the morning of game seven, that no matter what happens, I feel like this season was a, an unmitigated success for them and that this series proved that what they tried to do was right. And, you know, they pushed Golden State harder than I think anybody thought was realistically possible uh, outside of Houston. And, and, and you know, they, they came really, really close to, to getting by them.
1: I agree with all that. And something that struck me when I was writing their offseason preview and when we did it for Dunked On is how challenging Maury's offseason is because of the lack of replacements. So, you know, Clint Capella, fabulous season. And you can make an argument that he is more valuable for the Rockets than anyone else because they know how to use him and because they need somebody with exactly his skill set. The breakaway podcast that Rob Mahoney did on on Capella's fabulous, I... I I'll hardly recommend people listen to it. But if they lose him, there isn't anybody who's like a 95% Capella because you can't have like an 80% Capella. That significantly degrades the Rockets' defense. It, it creates other seams that can be problematic. And it's actually strangely similar to that with Trevor Reza because while Trevor Riza is an imperfect player and is not the guy that he once was, because, you know, Trevor Riza's 32 at this point or 33 and is only going to, you know, he'll only get older from here, like all of us. They can't replace him. They they you know they're over the tax. They're going to have the non taxpayer. Sorry, the taxpayer middle level exceptions, about five million dollars, and they also would probably have to use that to pay Impa Mute, maybe to pay Joe Green, depending on how all that gets structured. And so they're just kind of stuck. And it's a it's a much better place to be stuck in negotiations than where numerous teams that are out of the playoffs, like Charlotte, are. You know, where you're just like, well, crap. Like, what are we going to do now? But it is still really hard because they can't bring back these guys... On one-year contracts, where it's like, hey, you know, let's let's ride this as long as we can, because those players want to, you know, they want to do right by themselves and they want to make the money they can. In, in Clint Capella's case, they have leverage, so and his the the years don't matter as much to him as they do to CP and to Trevor. So that's going to be a challenge too. You know, like, do you give Trevor Reza more money and eat a bigger bill for like two years and then just get out of it, so that when Harden's big money kicks in? you're a little bit more protected or like it's going to be such a challenge.
0: It really is. And it's just, it's just yet another uh, log on the fire for what's going to be a completely crazy summer in the NBA. And it's, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how it turns out from whatever happens in Philly now. And in July, uh, whatever happens with LeBron, with Kawhi, with Paul George, what the, what the Lakers do, DeMarcus Cousins the floating out there. There's there's a lot that's going to happen, and it's going to be really, really interesting, uh, and it's going to keep people like you and me extremely busy.
1: Still more to talk about with Tim, but first the message from our friends at TrueCar. If you are looking to buy a car, you are probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you are really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing true price from TrueCar. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. TrueCar dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because TrueCar shows you what other people paid for that same car you want. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new car or a used car, visit Truecar to enjoy a more confident, car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. So, let's get to the part of the craziness that has already started and that is in Philadelphia. I am really reluctant to talk about this story because it seems like there is a rule that anytime a podcast of any nature is released on this story, that something else is going to happen. <laughs> but we're getting closer to the point and, and i mean, we where it looks like the call was inside the house, even if it wasn't Brian Colangelo that did the calling.
0: It was It was. It was almost certainly his wife. I, I mean, I, I feel like I can say that pretty and, definitively at this and, point.
1: So for me, the point that we're at with this is you have these kind of two calibrations. One is... How does that affect the conversations that a team is going to have with GM with other GMs with other players you know they let's, going just, let's
0: just let's let's just skip ahead right we people have talked about this a lot on podcasts let's just skip ahead. Do you think Brian Colangelo keeps his
1: job or not No I don't think he keeps his job. My question is going to be can they neither, figure n- out neither they, do I can they figure out a, a replacement and I know exactly who I think it should be if they can get a replacement lined up, for the draft process and for they'll have agency. a new
0: they'll have a new general manager by the draft. I'm pretty convinced. I mean, I, we talked about this a little bit at the game last night, very briefly. But uh, you, listen, I I don't I do see I don't see a scenario in which Brian Colangelo can keep his job, and I think. I, and he I hasn't been
1: good enough to justify you know this isn't a circumstance where he has earned well, the benefit well i wouldn't I, I wouldn't say that i mean i think he's done a fine job
0: with the sixers but i also don't i don't think it matters right it doesn't That's it fair. doesn't matter right it, like i mean i think you you look at what he did this last year right i mean he he didn't bell and Ellie and were good moves you know obviously the uh the signing redick was a really smart move you know signing amir to another one year deal and and keeping you know keeping those that cap space open was a good move. We've seen other teams in big markets that could have signed for agents in a year. You, you know, not exactly use their cap space wisely without naming names. So I, I mean, I think he did a lot of good things. Obviously the Marco false trade is a question mark, but also like, I think some of that's a little bit out of his control, but set that aside, right? The bottom line is the guy said, I had no idea what was happening and it, Seems pretty clear now his wife was doing it. Now, I do think there's a chance he might not have any, had any idea his wife was doing this, but the perception is what matters now, right? This is, this is less about the reality of the situation and much more about the perception. And if you tell people around the league, which he did, someone's out to get me, right? And you find out that it's actually not someone out to get you, it's your wife who's doing it. Well, it's hard for people to square those things. And I think that credibility gap is going to make it very hard for Brian to keep his job. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily fair, because if his wife was doing this as a freelance thing, it wouldn't be the first time a family member of a famous person did something crazy that embarrassed them. Right. But there's a reason that these are public facing jobs and they're high profile jobs and high paying jobs. That means they come with high stakes. And if you make the organization look bad like this, it sets you up to be in a bad spot. And I think there's little doubt that the Sixers are embarrassed by what's happened. And I think it'd be very hard for someone as the front facing guy of the organization to walk into the room and look his players in the eyes when his wife was ripping Joel Embiid on Twitter and ripping Marco Fultz on Twitter. Right. It's just hard to make that work. So to me, I think the only way this can end now is for him to lose his job. And like I said, I don't know if that's necessarily fair or not, but I don't think fair matters. I don't think the reality situation matters at this point. I think it's about the perception of it. And, you know, frankly, part of this also comes back to the fact that Brian came in there under a bit of adverse circumstances in the from the standpoint that there was a large segment of people in Philly who were against him from the start, fairly or not, again, right, because of allegiance to his predecessor who was let go when when ownership felt a little heat and bailed on them probably prematurely, right? So there is some irony in how that could come back around here, but I still think it's going to end in the same way.
1: I think it will too, and I think that the time pressure will accelerate this process because it has to. Like that, Correct. that's just the, the nature. The nature of this is you're not going to get that full and thorough investigation. Maybe they can do the whole administrative leave and and put somebody in, but maybe they just don't want to do that because.
0: Well, and the- also, and it and it also I, it almost hurts Colangelo that things were so primed for this summer, right? Mm-hmm. Like if it this, totally if this, does. If this, if this happened, let's say this happened a year ago in Philly's life cycle. Right when they weren't really looked at as a destination, and they were planning to, you know, go into the summer and probably preserve their cap space for this summer. Right? Maybe he could ride it out then. Maybe it could be, hey, look, my wife did this. I really didn't know. He can maybe convince some of that, and then you could kind of say, all right, you know what? This is really weird, but. It's not the first really weird family thing in the NBA. We're going to kind of ride this out. But the Sixers have so much riding on the next month. They want to trade for Kawhi Leonard. I don't think that's a huge secret. Half the league wants to trade for Kawhi Leonard. They'd love to sign Paul George or LeBron James. They have the 10th pick in the draft. They have Markel Fultz. If they have to figure out what they're going to do it. They have all this stuff going on, right? I just don't know how they survive or how he survives. With all that at stake, with the Sixers having so much on the line right now, can you really go into the summer with him on administrative leave or – This whole thing hanging out there. I mean, I, I was told, I was told this week that this or, this investigation isn't going to take long. Like I, I don't think they plan on this lasting until August, right? This isn't the, this isn't the Dallas Mavericks sexual harassment case where you have to go back and interview 20 years worth of people and you really have to do a deep dive into the entire inner workings of the organization, right? I mean, this basically comes down to looking at Colangelo and the people around him and determining was this Brian? Was this somebody in Brian's circle or was this somebody out to get Brian? And you figure that out and you go from there and at this point it seems fairly clear it was his wife and I think given his initial statements and given where his wife factors into that the fact of him saying he didn't know makes it really difficult for them to do that and the fact that they've only got three weeks between now and the draft they just can't have this hanging out there and I think that's gonna lead to him you know leaving there and then going in another direction here pretty quickly.
1: Okay so let's go from that to you, you talked about the the Kawhi part of this. Well, then, I thought we were going to
0: talk about who might run the Sixers. You just skip right past that.
1: Oh, oh yeah, you're right. Let's do that instead. Um, I think there's I think there's two obvious names.
0: One is David Griffin. The other is Danny Ferry. I think one of them will be running the Sixers.
1: I hope it's David Griffin. I think that he would be a really good fit for the kind of exactly what they need because he has handled really bizarre challenging circumstances incredibly well he also has a pre-existing relationship with lebron james which could be useful i think they should be prioritizing paul george over lebron james as great as lebron is just for as, our, as
0: you as you and i both agree on we've yeah, both written about
1: we've both written about it uh, but but i think griffin can manage that also like the fairy thing considering how he lost his last job there would be some challenges there i i've have to go back and look at it but i do believe that if we're just focusing on his track record as a as an executive that he did a good job with Atlanta
0: You also have to remember he does have a very long history with LeBron
1: That's true he does so I don't want to handicap that, but kind of what do you see as theoretically if those are the two strongest options? I, I you... think I
0: think it will be Griffin because I, I think Danny Ferry is going to get another job. He's working with the Pelicans now. His you know he's he, I think his image has been rehabilitated a bit, and uh, that was obviously not a great situation that happened in in Atlanta. But I think it was also. Kind of hard to explain. Uh, it, that was not a great situation, but I I don't think it's a situation that will preclude him from ever being a GM again. If, if that's the, the if that makes sense, I don't know if that even makes sense. But uh, I, I think he will be an executive. But I think when you're looking at this situation, and he's I know I, there I think he talked to Philadelphia at least once. I think he talked to Philadelphia during the the process when they hired. Colangelo, if, if I remember correctly, so there is a familiarity there. But I, I think when you look at this situation and you look at the time sensitive sensitivity of the situation and you look at all the factors at play here, I think going the ferry route, it, it would just be another another layer of complication, fair or not, right? And I think given that David Griffin is sitting out there with no such background issues, uh, and again, issues probably isn't even fair, but with, with no such question about him, right? It's like, David Griffin, you you say, hey, David Griffin won a championship, sitting out there for a year, number one guy, ready to go, right? Uh, I I think that just makes too much sense. So to me, uh, I think that this this will likely wind up with with Griffin getting that job.
1: And I think Griffin can do a good...
0: Assuming he actually wants the job, of course. Yeah. But I, I think I my assumption is that if you are going to want to work in the league again, this is a top five job in the league.
1: So, well, yeah. I mean, I remember for I think it was a Patreon mailbag. Somebody asked the two Nate and I what what job theoretically, if it were offered to you, would you want the most? And I said the Sixers. That was the job I said if if they offered me the GM, that's the one I would want the most. And I mean, obviously they're not offering it to me. That would be fun though. But <laughs> that that's the you know because they have the combination of talent and flexibility which is exactly what almost every general manager wants. Now we'll see what ownership is willing to pay. That is the other big question with Philadelphia is, you know, they've saved all this money over the years of the process because they were basically spending the bare minimum does that carry over? Is Harris willing to pay the tax? But they are helped in this in a way that Detroit is not, and depending on perspective, Denver is not, which is that they've already succeeded at a level that could justify paying the tax. Like, the hardest thing for a team to ask an owner to do, even though I think they should more often, especially if they've committed to it, is getting them to commit to paying the luxury tax for a team that isn't good enough. Because it's just I, I can understand why that is hard. It's a lot of it's a lot of money that changes hands and I mean I have my own opinions on ownership, but Philadelphia is fortunate that they have already crossed that Rubicon.
0: Yes, no question. It's it's like the Houston situation, right? Like when your when your team is in that stratosphere, like guys are going to pay because guys want to win because they don't buy these teams to. I, I think you know very few people anyway buy these teams to try to make money off them or just to milk them, right? I mean, most of them are competitive businessmen who have the money to buy a team, so they bought it buy a team and they want to win. You know, I mean that's that's how it works. So I, I think that that yeah, getting getting them to pony up for the luxury tax now is in. Uh, is it going to be hard?
1: We usually end these conversations with a little bit about the offseason, and I think what was going to be so interesting to me this year, and going through stuff team by team, as has been part of the process, is... How aggressively and what the chronology is going to be on when teams move to try to get under the tax, try to mitigate their tax bill. Like Oklahoma City is an interesting example of this, with or without Paul George. You know they're gonna they're gonna have a big bill, and so there are a couple different ways they could do it. Denver, I mentioned before, what their how they're going to handle this with Nikola Jokic getting a big bump, assuming they decline his decline his team option to make him a restricted free agent, and so I want to see how these very small group of teams that have cap space, Chicago, maybe Indiana, Atlanta, especially the teams that aren't good, you know, like, and that's so that would not include Indiana, obviously, because they had a very nice season. How they approach this? are they gonna kind of sit back and wait for the offers to wash over them over a week or so? Are they gonna get one early like because last year Atlanta got a first round pick for I think it was about 14 million in Jamal Crawford money and most of that money was on the books for the 17-18 season so it's already almost all the way cleared off they ended, you know the Rockets pick ended up being 30 but they still got a first round pick for it or do those you know like how do those teams handle the power that they have?
0: No question. I think this entire summer is going to be... Uh gonna be really interesting to see how it shakes out and and how how it how it plays out from a financial standpoint. I mean you're gonna have you know Adam Silver, you know, twice you know alluded to a hard cap yesterday in his press conference and you know you're gonna see a lot of teams and a lot of restricted free agents looking around at no money being available and tough negotiations and I could see a lot of qualifying hours be taken and uh, even guys like DeMarcus don't have a real home anywhere. Uh it's it's gonna be a wild story in the NBA at a lot of levels. A lot of levels. And And the, the financial aspect is just one of them. And it could be the beginning of, you know, a contentious period coming up here, uh, for the next few years as, as the, the kind of the new reality sets in and the, the ever grad, the ever rising cap kind of finally plateaus and people go, wait a minute, I got left off the merry-go-round. What the hell? Uh, that, that's something that I think not enough people have taken into account at this point.
1: I think that some of the hard cap conversation, first of all, I vehemently disagree with it with the NBA structure. And I think I thought Silver did a nice job of articulating the differences, strengths, and weaknesses. Yeah, and I the think I,
0: I would, yeah, and I would also say I think Adam was probably doing that as, a, as some saber rattling to make some owners who want it happy. Oh, but yeah, I, I yeah. Think it was, it was, it, it was
1: fan service for his constituency. And people get confused yeah. about this with, with commissioners all the time. Their constituents, their bosses are the owners, it's not the league. Like Adam Silver, you know that that's what his job is. He is a steward of the league, but he is his bosses are the owners. And I think that a lot of those concerns will be resolved by the time we have the next conversation, because that like the duration of the CBA is actually really fortunate for the for the overall structure, because by then all of the 2016 boondoggles will be long gone. You know, I think there's going to be a a fair amount of space next year. It's not going to be anything like 2016, but maybe it could be more like 17. And that'll be interesting. So we won't be focused on that as much. And then also, like, I want to use Denver as the example here because I think they're the most relevant with this. So Denver, you know, good team, easily could have made the playoffs this year, would have made the playoffs by a mile in the East, but, you know, just the the structure of playing better opponents and some bad injury luck. They are in a weird place because with Millsap having, they amazing that they negotiated that team option on the third year they could actually have cap space next summer if they wanted to. But that would require, you know, but keeping the team together would require p- paying the tax this coming year. So what is Cronky willing to do? Are they willing to kind of, Suffer through it with some of these bad contracts, like Fareed, which has turned out more poorly than a lot of us anticipated.
0: Darrell Arthur, I'm with, I'm with Nate. I don't see there's a chance of them paying. I don't think in, there is. The bill,
1: I think they could stay in that like lowest tier. That would be a possibility, but generally, I could
0: see them maybe paying a couple million dollars, maybe. Yeah.
1: But I, so I don't even like,
0: know if they do that.
1: It's going to suck if that's the case because there's no real way to do that without making the team worse. And so, yeah. you know, those are the constraints that happen. It's it's a part of the it's a part of this world, but I'm going to be so interested to see where those thresholds are and which teams are proactive as well. You know, like cuz there are so few teams that can make these deals happen. Oh, and that's the other one I want to talk about a little bit. I was writing about this yesterday. Which which of these cap space teams are willing to take on multi-year salaries? Because they could get an absolute mint assuming that a team that wants that actually has the resources. Like, I'm sure the Knicks would love to, you know, unload Noah instead of having to stretch him, but are they willing to give up, you know, a potential lottery pick to do it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think the Knicks are going to do that. But, I mean, I think you look around and they're, you know, whether it's Atlanta, whether it's Chicago, whether it's potentially Dallas – you know, whether it's maybe Sacramento, whether it's Phoenix. I mean, I, I think there's uh, – Chicago and Atlanta, I think, are the two primest candidates, but there there are a lot of teams that are – there's at least a couple of teams that are going to be willing to take on money, and there's going to be a lot of teams looking to get off of it. And, they're, you know, you could see – I think you could see both those teams really make out like bandits. I mean, part of the reason that Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Silva got bought out was they didn't really get much of an offer for them. It was maybe a second-round pick, and – in most of the cases it was taking back future money, right? So at that point I think the Hawks rightly looked at it and said, yeah, we can get a second round pick now, or we can wait and this summer our cap space is going to be worth even more than it is now and we can maybe get a first or maybe a couple firsts for some from some of these guys. And I think that you're gonna see, you know, a team like Atlanta in particular, and I also think Chicago, I think those two teams could really benefit from having cap space this summer to, you know, take on some money and 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 really, you know, make out from a from a salary standpoint. I mean, you know, could you see the Rockets send Ryan Anderson and two first-round picks to to the Bulls for Omer Asik, right? And then you wave, you stretch Omer Asik, and they save whatever seventeen million dollars in, in money this year.
1: Yeah, and, right? and the amount they would save on tax, I haven't done that trade yet, but I think that would save them like forty million dollars in mean, terms it of. It would money. have
0: to send, have to be at least that much, right? I mean, it'd be a, especially if they use the mid-level I exception. Mean, it'd be a ton of money. So, and that, that's like, I'm not saying I know that's happening or anything, but like you you could see there are a lot of different scenarios where team guys like that and contracts like that could move and you could save teams tons and tons of money. So so I yeah, I think there's a lot of things at play in and- you know certainly teams like the Bulls and the Hawks in particular and you know Mavericks if they strike out in free agency uh some of these other teams you know I could see the Lakers taking on money if they strike out in free agency I mean there's there's going to be some teams looking around you know maybe even the Pacers there's going to be teams looking around saying hey we can we can take advantage of this and get some assets and you know really take advantage of the fact that there's a lot of teams that weren't prepared for the the cap situation to, to play out the way it
1: has that's a great point the last thing I want to mention is you You brought up the Pacers, and I think the Pacers and Jazz are in the same boat. Unusual situation where both teams exceeded expectations, have a, a really intriguing young core, Oladipo, Mitchell, you know, Gobert, Turner, all those kind of guys. And both of those teams have this weird circumstance where they could be clearing cap space for this year and you know there, there's not as much money to go around that money could make a bigger difference but if they wait until next year they could have a lot more money and neither of those teams I think are really in the mix for max guys that's just the structure of the NBA but I wonder which path both of them are going to choose and whether it will be the same one because you know there could, there could be a brighter future but at the same point you can make an argument that their money is going to go so much further this offseason that it's worth it to, to make a go at it now.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. You know, but it also, it also depends on who they can go get, right? I mean, it's, it, this whole summer is going to be so unpredictable with the, like I said, with the um, lack of money that's available with the potential restricted guys that are out there. It's going to be fascinating. And, and, you know, like we didn't see the Chris Paul trade coming. We didn't see the Paul George carried coming. We didn't see a lot of stuff coming last summer. And this summer's got the potential to be even wilder than that, right? So there, there's a lot on the table right now. And, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be, a, it's going to be an awesome summer for a fan and it's going to be a long summer for us (laughs) <laughs> in a, a summer full of uh sleepless nights because it's going to be I think it's going to be really crazy uh as this stuff sorts itself out you you, you know all of it's going to be right be held up while LeBron makes his decision could hold up the entire market you know cuz like you doubt the teams like Philly are going to say hey you know what we'll sign Paul George before we know what LeBron's going to do so it, it's going to be a wild it's going to be a wild July just like it's turned into every year and with all 30 teams in Vegas Vegas is going to be just as crazy as ever uh it's it's going to be an amazing summer and i, I think you know the nba succeeded in making this at minimum an 11 month a year sport and i think this year is going to be further proof of that
1: uh, i'm i'm very excited to see to see where all this goes thank you so much as always for taking the time Anytime, buddy. I'll see you again soon. Thanks again to Tim Bontemps for taking the time to come on. You can read him at the Washington Post. He is their national NBA writer. And you can subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, which is a weekly mail piece that he puts out that I really enjoy. Lots of different things in it. And you can also, of course, follow him on Twitter at Tim Bontemps, T-I-M-B-O-N-T-E-M-P-S. We'll have to see where the finals goes to know exactly what next week's Real Gym Radio will be on, but I would assume it will relate in some way, shape, or form. If you want the more game-to-game analysis, check out Dunk on that's what nate duncan and i do we did that of course on game one as well and we will moving forward twitter nba show will be back for the games in cleveland so that would be i believe wednesday and friday of the upcoming week and Excited to see where all this goes. I mean, I thought Cleveland played really, really well in in game one and they showed the capability of winning any game in this series. Whether they actually win four is up for discussion. Tim and I talked about it a lot, but excited to see where that goes. Recording this on July, on sorry, on June 1st, a month away from July 1st, which as many of you know is a big deal for me. So we'll be. Keeping an eye on where the offseason is going and everything in that vein as well. Try to mix it in when possible with guests, but you know, you tr- try to get the balance right. You can read my work, Real GM. Um, have a new piece that's going to come out at some point in the near term on continuing my series on evaluating prospects and how I do that. And then I have at least one more in that vein as well. Offseason previews are at the Athletic. Analysis, the NBA Finals will mostly, if not exclusively, be at the Athletic. And We'll see where else it goes from here. So I'm I'm very, very excited for the remainder of this and the absolute insanity, as Tim talked about, that is coming in July just with so much. And actually, probably the last week of June, I think will be interesting, too, with some of the opt-in, opt-out stuff. So keep an eye on Real Gym Radio. If you want to support the show, leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player for choosing subscribe, download every episode, tell people word of mouth, whether it is in person or over the internet is very important. And check out our sponsors, BearMattress.com, B-A-R mattress.com, P-O-D 100 code gives you $100 off your mattress, any size, pretty awesome. BetDSI, Real GM promo code gives you up to $2,500 on your first deposit. And TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars. And so do that help keep the lights on here. Really do appreciate it. Love doing the show so much. And as I've said before, if we get enough support get enough advertising, I can bump this up to twice a week. And I would love to, if I have the time for that, I might not have the time for much more than that, but I have the time for that. So if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, at gmail.com. If you take the time to write it, I take the time to read it. Might not respond. Some of them don't even necessitate that, but I do appreciate it. And my goal is to make the show the best it can be. So we'll go through that. As I said, I might, I, I'm guessing next week will be about the finals, don't know exactly what it'll be. Might have a guest already lined up, but we're still working on the logistics. So if that happens, you'll find out about it on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening in. Take care and make it a great day.
0: The free COVID vaccine is FDA-authorized for kids 5 and up.
1: Do it for your besties and the resties.
0: It's safe for your child and can help protect their friends.
1: Do it for birthdays.
0: And help protect your family.
1: And game night. When you give your child the vax, you give them the power to learn. Do it for field trips. And camp outs. To experience. And big hugs. And to be a kid. Get your child vaccinated and give them the power. Paid for with Pennsylvania taxpayer dollars. You want to go? Yes. Go travel. Go explore. Go find a new city. Go reconnect with friends. Go have fun. That's why we created OnGo, the trusted rapid COVID-19 self-test.
0: OnGo gives you accurate COVID test results and peace of mind in just minutes. So anywhere you go, you know. You'll know if you're COVID-19 free. And you'll know you're protecting loved ones. OnGo is readily available at letsongo.com, Amazon, Walgreens, or Walmart.com. Use promo code ONGO15 for 15% off at letsongo.com today.